Hi, I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and you're listening to The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. Just over two weeks ago, a British journalist and a Brazilian indigenous expert went missing in the Amazon. There was a lot of confusion and conflicting reports about what happened to them, but we now know these two men were killed. Multiple arrests have been made in connection with their deaths. Dom Phillips and Bruno Pereira were on a reporting trip for a book that Phillips was writing about sustainable development in the Amazon. They'd both spent years working and traveling in the region together. As soon as they went missing, almost everyone suspected foul play because the kind of work they were doing has gotten more and more dangerous in Brazil over the years. And many see what happened to Dom Phillips and Bruno Pereira as the result of that. Bolsonaro treats the press like uh, it's his enemy. Julio Lubianco is a journalist with LATAM Journalism Review. He's here to help us understand what this case says about the safety of journalists and activists in Brazil. But first, Lucy Jordan is the Brazil correspondent for Unearthed, which is the journalistic arm of Greenpeace. She's worked with Dom Phillips. I spoke with Lucy last week, before the two men were confirmed dead. She'll tell us about the part of the Amazon where they were working and why it can be so dangerous. This is The Decibel. Lucy, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you for having me, Manika. I know that uh, this is probably going to be hard to talk about because you you have worked with Dom Phillips before and you've known him for a few years. What is he like? Yeah, that's correct. I first met Dom uh, in 2012 when I first arrived in Brazil and I was like a fairly clueless <laughs> uh, freelancer just starting out and didn't really know what I was doing and he kind of slightly took me under his wing. He kind of really told me every detail of how to do it and helped me out when I was panicking and was just very kind and generous. And I think that's pretty much what his personality is like. He's a kind-hearted, curious, generous man. He loved, uh, loves nature, loves the Amazon, loves Brazil. He is the polar opposite of a parachute foreign correspondent. You know, he's not... Mm. One of these correspondents who comes in for six months to report on the Olympics and then leaves again. He, you know, he he really loved Brazil. You know, he was like, "No, this is this is my place now. I'm <laughs> I'm not leaving." And you said he you said he loved Brazil. Do you have a sense of how he thought about the work that he was doing there in in the Amazon? I'm not one of Dom's best friends. You know, we, we we've known each other. We knew each, we worked together uh, back in back in 2012 and 2013. But I know that he felt very strongly that reporting on the Amazon and reporting on these indigenous groups was a moral imperative and a really important thing to do. He he always, even before he was doing so much Amazon work, he focused on um, marginalised communities and underreported stories. For example, he went back to the Zika story long after international attention on the families and their babies he was the type of reporter to think, well, how are they doing now? You know, That extends to the work he was doing in the Amazon when he went missing. Um, he was there 
doing research for this book, he was working on, on sustainable development in the Amazon. So what worked and what didn't work. And that really speaks to how much he understood it, because I think there's often a misconception with people who don't know a lot about the Amazon that it's this kind of empty space, almost empty of people. But there, there are 20 million people who live in the Amazon and they need an income if they don't have one, that's going to cause more uh, unsustainable development. They're going to turn to illegal activities like logging and mining. So he really understood what was necessary in thinking about the Amazon and thinking about how we can approach development in a way that doesn't cause destruction. So Dom was on this trip with Bruno Pereira. Yeah. What is What kind of reputation does does Bruno have? Um, I don't know Bruno personally, but he's well known in indigenous environmental circles because he worked for Funai in, in the uncontacted tribes department. And he worked in the field in that area, the Javali Valley, for years. Okay. What, what's Funai there, Lucy? Funai is Brazil's government indigenous agency, and they are tasked with protecting the some 235 indigenous groups in Brazil. And he was actually, so he left Funai in early 2019, shortly after Bolsonaro became president. You know, he left pretty soon after he disabled an illegal gold mine and that he was essentially forced out. Hmm. And so both Dom and Bruno, they've spent a lot of time in the Amazon. They they know this area uh, relatively well. But within days of them disappearing, people did suspect foul play. Why is that? Well, the immediate reason for that is simply because they wouldn't have got lost. They both knew this area very well, particularly Bruno, who'd been posted in the field there for a few years, I think. They were very experienced with being in the wilderness. They had, only in 2018, they had taken a thousand kilometer trip together to um, research and investigate on an uncontacted tribe. Hmm. So it always seemed implausible from the beginning that that would have happened. And added to this was the fact that they had been threatened the day before, I believe they had had a fisherman waving a rifle at them and threatening them, as well as Bruno had been named in threats that had been made to an indigenous group. And and it's a dangerous place if if you are doing that kind of work. If you like Bruno and Dom, are doing work that advocates for environmental protections and indigenous protections, then it's a place where you will make enemies. What do you mean by it's a, it's, it's a dangerous place and you'd, you'd, make, you'd make enemies? Well, it's a number of things. I mean, historically, historically, there have been tensions between the non-indigenous communities that live along the river and then the indigenous communities that live in the Javali Valley. So the people on the river don't live within the indigenous land, but they live very close to it. And historically, they had always seen this stretch of forest and these stretch of rivers as areas available to them for logging, for fishing, for hunting, to make their living. After the indigenous land was demarcated and they were no longer allowed to do that, tensions arose. Added to that, there have been additional incursions in the past 20 years from slightly more outsider groups such as gold miners seeking to mine gold illegally in the in these areas and on top of all that over the past 20 years there's been a huge increase in using this whole area as a network of drug trafficking routes 
So you wrote a piece in The Guardian about uh, Dom's and Bruno's disappearance, and, and you describe it as the logical consequence of the current political environment. W- what do you mean by that? Well, I think that if you have a government that has spent three years sneering at Indigenous rights, cutting the budget of environmental enforcement agencies, characterizing protections as getting in the way of development and using violent rhetoric themselves and tacitly encouraging violence against against these groups, then this is what you can expect. Lucy, I I have to ask, how, how are you doing with all of this? I know this is not an this is not an easy this is not easy to talk about. This is not an easy situation. How how are you doing? I'm I think I'm I'm quite shaken up by uh, by this like all the journalism community here. I'm just really thinking about his family and Bruno's family. He has small children. Um, and that's the most unbearable thing to think about, really, I think, is what their families must be going through. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's horrible. Lucy, thank you so much for, for taking the time to speak with us today. And, and please take care. Thank you. Lucy Jordan is the Brazil correspondent for Unearthed. Julio Lubianco is a Brazilian journalist with LADAM Journalism Review, and he's here to tell us about how Brazil has gotten more dangerous for journalists since the election of the country's president, Jair Bolsonaro. Julio, thank you so much for speaking with us today. My pleasure. So the world has been watching this, this case of Dom Phillips and Bruno Pereira. Can you tell us how dangerous is it for journalists in Brazil right now? Well, uh, Brazil has not a history of being so dangerous like, uh, for example, Mexico, where journalists are dying you know, every week or every month. But we can say that it's pretty dangerous for journalists working in small and middle-sized towns uh, where they don't are associated with... Uh, you know, a major or a structured media outlet, mostly mm-hmm. working independently. If you're part of a bigger organization, it doesn't mean you're 100% safe. It means you're a little bit safer and less exposed to, you know, the kind of violence that uh, journalists may face in small towns. Mm. How many attacks have there been on journalists in, in Brazil in, in the past couple of years? The number of attacks uh, on Brazilian journalists reached a new all-time high last year, 2021, according to the latest report on violence against journalists and freedom of the press. There has been 430 cases recorded in this survey, two more than in 2020. It's important to say, to give you context, that one year before Bolsonaro took office in 2018, uh, the number of recorded cases were 130. So it moved from 130 in 2018 to 430 last year. Uh, Most of these attacks are not, you know, the most violent ones. Uh, I think last year there were two murders, but you get a lot of online harassment, uh, some aggression, some threats. The, the number of attacks skyrocketed in the last years. From 2013 to 17, the main perpetrators of attacks were uh, members of the security forces, such as police, municipal guards. In 18, 
the year Bolsonaro's, of Bolsonaro's election, that changed it. The biggest aggressors are now ordinary citizens, voters for one or another candidate who turned to violence against the press, professionals in public demonstrations like political rallies. So there's been a shift since, you know, not only Bolsonaro election, but all this movement that brought him to power. Julio, can I ask, you're, you're a journalist working in Brazil. Have you ever felt in danger while reporting? Yes, I did. I've worked uh, many years for uh, radio in Rio. I used to cover, uh, you know, breaking news uh, and some violence too. So I've been in the middle of shootouts uh, between the police and the drug dealers. But, you know, the one time when I felt most in danger, personally in danger, was during the 2018 election when I was covering on the very night of the election, Bolsonaro's residency. So, you know, you can imagine the kind of crowd that was there, mm -hmm. all of his most uh, engaged supporters about to celebrate his winning. Uh, and my team was questioned uh, several times by random people about who we were working for uh, from one of the undesirable media outlets that had been uh, targeted by Bolsonaro. That day, we were able to navigate that, but you know, usually it takes one person to start going after you, and then the crowd joins. This uh, has been a big change, and I, I must admit, you don't know what can happen in a crowd. Uh, if you are in the middle of a shootout, you know, you duck, try to hide yourself, but in, not in the middle of the crowd. What can you do? Where are you going to run to? Uh, there's been uh, a case with a colleague of mine. He was covering uh, last year, I guess, demonstration with Bolsonaro and many of his supporters. And he and other journalists, they spotted the previous Minister of Health. And they approached him, you know, to ask him for a comment. He declined, but it was enough for the crowd to go after them. And the uh, reporter from CNN Brazil, he was punched in the back, he was pushed, and he was able to get out of there only because there were police officers guarding him, which is, mm -hmm. I must say, quite unlikely considering the police uh, here in Brazil. So it, from what you're saying, it does really seem like, so once Bolsonaro was, was came into power, there's this kind of trickle-down effect where a lot of average people now are actually turning on journalists. But maybe we can unpack this a little bit, Julio. What exactly is Bolsonaro saying? What is he doing that, that seems to be kind of increasing or inciting this violence against journalists? Bolsonaro treats the press like uh, it's his enemy. So the critical coverage of the press uh, means in Bolsonaro's vision that they are working for the opposition, trying to get somebody else elected. So we, Bolsonaro, I don't know if you know this, but he has been a politician for a congressman for 28 years before being elected for presidency. And he was able to get elected over and over again, being the only voice in Congress to, you know, defend the authoritarian regime that Brazil had from 64 to 85, uh, voicing um, offensive and prejudicial remarks towards women, 
gays, blacks, indigenous people. So all this outrage that his positions we marked got attention in the media mm. uh, and eventually got as much attention he needed to, you know, the, the conditions were perfect in 2018, but uh, he was able to leverage the outrage of his remarks and turn into votes. So can you give me an example of, uh, of a couple of things maybe that Bolsonaro has, has said or, or done that, that seems to be fueling this? Okay, so since Bolsonaro has took office, he has the habit of when arriving at the Planalt Palace, where, you know, kind of the, the Brazil White House, he has some supporters waiting for him. And there is this place where many journalists are there waiting, you know, for ask the president anything. And he usually talks to, to these reporters there, but in a very combative way. So his sons, they are all politicians and they have been involved in several corruption, alleged corruption cases. One reporter once asked about one of these cases and Bolsonaro just stared at him and said, I want to punch you in the face. And this is in front of the crowd of his supporters. So do you find then that the things that he's saying seems to embolden the public to in, to engage in violence against journalists? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, one of the main stories during the election 2018 uh, revealed that business people had financed the spread of negative propaganda targeting Bolsonaro's opponent uh, in that election. Uh, the reporter who authored this story, Patricia Campos Melo, she had actually to work with bodyguards for a while because wow. Bolsonaro and his supporters turned her into an enemy, naming her several times and publicly harassing her. She received death threats online and she was really, really afraid of them. She's still working. She's still doing her job, but uh, she had a bodyguard to, do, to go to the local shop just you know, across the, the corner. That's the kind of trouble she was into because she did a very good uh, story. Uh, Dom Phillips was a journalist, but Bruno Pereira, who he was with, uh, he was an indigenous expert and often an, an advocate for indigenous rights. What is the situation like for people advocating for the environment and, and for indigenous rights in Brazil right now? This is a very risk position. Those who are defending indigenous people or the environment in Brazil. They have been the target of several criminal groups working with illegal deforestation uh, and many other illegal acti activities. And we can say that he, this kind of illegal activity has been enabled by Bolsonaro's policy towards the Amazon. So he has, Bolsonaro has demobilized all environmental inspection in the Amazon. And the inspection body no longer uh, is capable of issuing fines against those who break environmental laws. It's almost an authorization to break the law and the mm -hmm. forest and do whatever they want. And Bruno Pereira, uh, he was a civil servant at FUNAI. And he has lost his position at the very beginning of Bolsonaro's administration after taking part in an operation to combat illegal mining in the Javari Valley, where he ended up uh, being killed. Mm. Bruno's murder is one of the many murders of leaders involved in the cause of protecting the environment 
and indigenous people in the Amazon. Mm. Julio, from everything you're saying, this can be kind of a, a difficult environment, obviously, to do your work in a dangerous environment. As a journalist, what does all of this mean for you and, and for the work that you're doing? You know, it means, I, I would think, twice or three times before joining, you know, doing a story like this uh, in the Amazon or even in local favelas in Rio. I think it's really hard for us as journalists. We're not, you know, soldiers at war. We don't expect to face this kind of violence. And I think, you know, there might be one or two who will be doing or trying or keep pushing. But I think for most of us, it's it's kind of, uh, you know, don't get yourself in trouble. If these areas don't get covered, if journalists are concerned about covering certain stories, I mean, what does that mean for the public's understanding then of, of what's happening in, in certain parts of Brazil? Like, how is this going to affect that? They, they are not going to, to get coverage. They won't have a reliable source of information. So... One case that happened early in February this year, that's been a murder of a journalist called Givanildo Oliveira. He was the founder of Pirambu News, a local news website. And as with many other similar news initiatives like his, he was the only journalist there. And Pirambu is a poor neighborhood from Fortaleza, state of Ceará. He had been warned not to report on local crime, but he did anyway and ended up being shot dead after publishing a story about a double murder that happened in the neighborhood. Uh, that was the very last story the website has published. Actually, the website is now unavailable. This is a pattern that is repeated in many small towns and regions that the national media or even the regional media do not cover. So there's a lot of things, obviously, that are being said and done towards journalists. Have we seen anything back, though, any, any, any positive movement from the journalist side? Yeah, so one interesting movement is that journalists are fighting back, suing those who attack and threaten them, including the president himself. Uh, in March 2021, a judge from Sao Paulo sentenced the president to pay uh, roughly $5,000 to Patricia Campos Mello, the one who broke the story, the main story in 2018 elections. Uh, last month, the Union of Journalists in Sao Paulo won a lawsuit against Bolsonaro for collective moral damage. He can still appeal in both cases, but I think the value of these decisions is quite symbolic. So I think this is uh, really important, you know, for, for making a stance here that uh, we're not going to let this go. And this is not the behavior that people in power should have towards journalists. Julio, thank you so much for taking the time to, to speak with me today. Thank you very much. Please take care in your work. Thank you. That's it for today. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms. Our summer producer is Zara Kozema. Our producers are Madeline White, Cheryl Sutherland, and Rachel Levy-McLaughlin. David Crosby edits the show. Kasia Mihailovich is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.